0: Uh, today's the first sunday of of lent and uh, for those that uh, don't know lent is the is the name given to a six week or so period where we as the church prepare ourselves our hearts our bodies uh, our whole selves for easter and again, if you're new here, Easter is the time of year in particular where the church remembers the, the events leading up to the death and resurrection of Jesus. Now, if Jesus hadn't been raised from the dead, there is no chance any of us would ever have heard from him, heard of, of him, or indeed from him. But he was, and so we have. And so as Christians, we recognize that these moments, these, mo- these weeks, a couple of months leading up to Easter, are of great significance for us. We need to be in preparation to fully receive, again, the truths of Jesus. It is a time of great significance and importance. Now, traditionally, the way that we do that as the church is to prepare by engaging in repentance. Which is to say, turning our hearts and our lives over to God again. And we do that through fasting and a number of other spiritual practices uh, that uh, aren't actually primarily about losing weight, believe it or not. (laughs) They're about engaging with God and, and becoming people of greater devotion. And these times are a huge gift. In fact, just in the last week or so, Amy and I had a conversation with a friend of ours who said last Year at Lent was the first time she'd ever really fully engaged with Lent. And it changed the way that she was able to meet with God, encounter God at Easter. And That's what we're about. We're about encountering God. That's the heart of a heartbeat as a church. In order to do that, we have to have a holy Lent. Lent is hugely important because we want to encounter God. And so it was with some surprise that when I took my weekly jaunt onto social media this last week as I sort of took in some of what I saw other churches doing and how they were positioning themselves for Lent. I actually saw uh, often or in lots of cases an omission, a lack of conversation around Lent. I saw one particular church which I enjoyed uh, pointing people toward Pancake Day. But with no other conversation around Lent, now look, I'm not saying that a church's social media account is fully representative of the heart or the vision of that church. But it did strike me as significant and indeed as interesting and relevant. And I began to ask myself, I was, I'm for Pancake Day, just in case you think that I'm not. I am of the opinion that eggs everywhere should be used up uh, before Lent begins. But there's got to be more. Lent than Pancake Day doesn't there why would it be I began to think why would it be that I and other church leaders would be tempted to to miss the beginning the launch of Lent is it because Lent can be intense Lent can be heavy beginning with Ash Wednesday where we reflect on our mortality and we sign each other with a cross and we say that from dust you came and to dust you will return Is it because we don't like that kind of darkness in the church? We don't like that kind of intensity. We'd rather preach a message which is a bit more positive, a bit more light and airy, a bit more happy and dare I say a bit more clappy. But in a time like this, in a global pandemic, I want to suggest that we don't have that option. We can't steer away and stare away from the darkness, it's all around us, staring in the face, kicking us in the teeth, day in and day out. And if we only have a spirituality that's bright and positive and happy, we're not going to get very far in a broken world. Indeed, when trials come, as they will for every one of us, we'll have to face away from the pain. And in so doing, we will be facing away from the reality. And we'll become the kind of church who have a place for pancakes But have no place for death and resurrection But today we're going to begin a journey through Lent We're going to live a holy Lent Because we want to come to Holy Week Full of hope My hope actually over the coming weeks Is that we're going to discover hope in the darkness We're going to experience God in the bright sadness of Lent. And we're going to begin that journey through Lent in Mark's Gospel. And Amy's already beautifully read, tours the story from Mark's Gospel. It could have begun at the beginning of the gospel. Just those 13 or so verses earlier where what we've seen in Mark's gospel is an explosion of light and life. We've seen events happening in short, a short space of time. So far we've, we've seen the revelation of Jesus' identity, the beginning of the gospel, the good news of Jesus, the Messiah. We, we've met John who's become baptizing in the wilderness. We've seen him really leading a revival movement. And already he's pointed forward to Jesus. And we've seen Jesus arrive. Uh, this one who John says will baptize in the spirit. And then Jesus is baptized. And it's the first time in Mark's gospel we see Jesus entering into the drama. And what's fascinating about this particular gospel is that we know next to nothing about Jesus. We know he comes from Nazareth in Galilee and beyond that, nothing. We do not have any, uh, uh, any of his CV. Any of his achievements, his sort of carpentry accomplishments? Did he do a particularly nice fine table he sold to the Joneses down the road? We don't know. We don't have any of his primary school report cards. We have not any confidence that he passed his GCSEs. Nothing of his background is shared with us. But what God does is to foreground him by pronouncing and announcing his identity and mission to anyone who would hear this is my Son, the Beloved, in whom I am well pleased. What's going on here? Well, as I said, God is foregrounding him. This is... This Fits the classic picture of theophany, of God appearing, of God speaking. We have a number of the, the signs. that, so By the way, if you're going to have a sort of spiritual experience, these are the signs you'd want, right? A booming, audible voice of God. You'd want that. You'd want uh, anything to do with water. It speaks of the, the coming of the Holy Spirit. You see this all the way through the Old Testament. We see this actually in the beginning. And we see this in Ezekiel and in other prophets. This picture of water. A sign and a symbol of God's Spirit being poured out. We want some of that. You'd also, if you, were, if you could be choosy, you would actually have the heavens opening. That's good. Isaiah 64 verse 1. Oh Lord, that you would rend the heavens. You would tear open the heavens and come down that the mountains would quake. At your presence, you'd want that too, and if you could be particularly picky, you'd also choose a dove, you certainly wouldn't choose a pigeon, you would choose a dove, uh, indicative of God's promise for a new world, and no sooner has Jesus had this phenomenal declaration of his mission and his identity than he's thrown out, cast out into the wilderness, into lockdown. And for forty days and forty long days and nights, that identity and purpose and promise is tested and it's weighed and it's pulled apart. And Jesus is in the wilderness, and all he has to rely on is God. None of the trappings, none of the trimmings, just God. And in that moment, he he learns obedience. So the scriptures. Say And once Jesus returns from the dead, all of this in Mark's gospel is happening in a line. Mark is so economical, it's amazing. And then Jesus returns and he begins to preach and his message is a message of a fresh start. This is where I want to camp today. You can learn this one, it's so simple. This, this verse is so significant. The time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. The good news, the gospel. This, folks, in a sentence is the gospel. The gospel. Here it is in a line. The gospel. If you're new to church today, maybe you're new here, or maybe you're at home watching for the first time, you've never been to church before, perhaps, you've probably heard this word gospel. Probably because you've encountered one of the most wonderful genres of music ever dreamed up, gospel music. Or maybe you know that the biographies of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, wait were they, the Beatles, No, that is the gospel writers. Maybe you know about them, those gospels, biographies of Jesus. Maybe you've been grown up in the church, you've been around a little bit longer and you've maybe got a bit more content for the gospel. You know a bit more about the gospel, maybe you've read the gospels. Maybe you've heard somebody speak and preach the gospel. You yourself have received the gospel. What was it you were receiving if you've received the gospel? Well, the word actually is this word euangelion. It's a composite word, two words put together. The first eu, meaning good. Angelion, coming from a word angelos, meaning angel or message or messenger. It is, in other words, a good message. It's good News. And in the culture of the day, in the culture that the readers or the hearers of Mark's gospel would have lived in and swum in, the word means. It's, it means good news, but it's a political message, particularly. It's political jargon. And it refers to a public announcement that would be given that would have political, widespread political significance. Let me give you a couple of examples. If, if if an emperor had had a son, good news would go out through the empire. Gospel through the empire. If, if there'd been a military victory that had significance to the wider empire, gospel would have been shared across the empire. And when it came in your inbox, you'd know there was reason to celebrate. That changed the way that you yourself would then have to live. It would reorder circumstances. We've had some good news in the family recently. We've got a new wellfield, a new bailiff joining the church just in the last couple of weeks. Good news, gospel. Children have been born. Not kings and queens in this case, but good news. And so it was something to be glad about. But it was something that fundamentally changed the way things were. It changed the politics and the possibilities. That's what the gospel was. An announcement. But what was this particular announcement about? Jesus says, this is what it was about. The time has come. Or to put it in sort of modern day speak. The waiting's over. Oh, I was talking to a friend uh, just this week by text. A friend lives in Australia saying, Whew, we're starting Lent again. Uh, we didn't leave the last Lent. Yeah, it was a year ago, wasn't it, that we began lockdown. And we began, Amy and I at that point, Preaching in our front room, <laughs> a devastating thing to do, You'd never do that. Lent began a year ago and here we are again in Lent, the waiting is over. That has some significance and uh, symbolism to us but for the Jewish people they've been waiting longer for, for longer than a year. Waiting hundreds of years for something, for a promise to be fulfilled. And the promise that they were waiting for was a king and a kingdom. You see, God had promised way back to them that one day there would come a king who would sit on David's throne. That king would be Messiah, meaning anointed one. And he would reign, he would be probably a warrior king who would come and deliver them from all of the forces that oppressed them. Principally, the governments that ruled over them. In this case, the Roman government. Come and liberate them so they could live in freedom to worship God. Freedom from fear. Freedom from guilt. Freedom from shame. And and freedom from sin. And so when Jesus comes and says, the time has come. The waiting is over. All of a sudden their ears were pricking up and saying, whoa. The promise is being fulfilled. The King is coming. The good news is being announced. And so Jesus follows this phrase up with one straight after. The time has come. The kingdom. The kingdom of God has come near. Near meaning you can touch it. You can taste it. You can see it. It's arrived. Downloaded right here, right now. We might put this again in modern speak we might say that the rule and the reign of God has been established, or we might say even more simply, God is taking charge. God is taking charge. The kingdom of God is what it looks like when God is in charge. And Jesus, do you, do you hear me? Jesus is announcing in the first century in Palestine, God is in charge again. God is taking charge. And He's taking charge through, Jesus says, through me. And he's taking charge, Jesus says, here and now. Not in some future day, but right here, right now. So Jesus begins his ministry with this kind of announcement. Hear me on this. It has absolutely nothing to do with how to get to heaven when you die, it may have a knock on effect. For that, but it, it's much more to do with how God is going to bring heaven to earth right here and now in the middle of history, and He's going to do it through uh, the life and ultimately the suffering and death and resurrection and ascension of His Son Jesus. It's strange news. It's so strange, and so it's no, it's no surprise, perhaps, that we'd rather stick with pancakes. We'd rather preach about pancakes. We'd rather talk about good positive stuff that's not so complicated, that's not so alien to us. Stuff like how you can live your best life now. Stuff that Jesus never said and he never would. Because he was too busy talking about how you could take up your cross and follow him. And we're going to be looking at that in the coming Weeks. Rowan Williams, former Archbishop of Canterbury, theologian at large, said this. I want that title when I retire. He doesn't have it, I just gave it to him. (laughs) Rowan, if you're watching, there you go, you've just been ordained again. It's He says this, it's an announcement that God is taking over. That the gospel is an announcement that God is taking over. And so the reader is warned from the very first verse of Mark's gospel that she or he must look and listen in the gospel for all the things that change the state of affairs in the world. This is going to be a book about change. A book about how the world came to look different under different management. The gospel is the precarious. Proclamation, the proclamation, the declaration that the the world is now under new management And the manager is the Messiah, is the King Jesus The one with wounds in his hands, with a wound in his side Who has been resurrected in his glory, who has ascended and is reigning at the right hand of the Father He's the King He's the king. It is, in summary, the announcement that in a backwater of the Roman Empire, an unknown Jewish carpenter, Mary's boy, self styled rabbi, he was claiming and proclaiming that God was doing something very new and he was doing it in this one, this Jesus. He was announcing that a change was coming and indeed it had come, that God was taking charge and it looked like. Healing. It looked like preaching. It looked like hoping and dreaming and joying and piecing and all of these other things. And it looked like death. And it looked like resurrection. This is a strange announcement. <laughs> Maybe it doesn't sound a lot like the gospel. That you grew up receiving. It is connected to the gospel we speak of. It is connected clearly to the forgiveness of sins, to the confidence that we'll be with him forever in the future kingdom that he will come again to restore us into. It is connected, but fundamentally, the gospel is the declaration that God has begun that. The good news. What are we to do with it? What are we to do with this alien news? Well, we could do worse and listen to what he tells us. Repent, he says. Repent and believe the good news. Repent and believe it. How do we repent? Well, this is old ground here. We've rehearsed this here at Trinity many times. The word repent has less to do with feeling really bad about things you did that you're really guilty about and much more to do with changing your way of thinking and acting Repentance is a change of mind that leads to a change of heart and life. It is described by life governed by new priorities. Repentance is about breaking any and every contract with any other king and kingdom. Any of the loyalty we have in our lives that comes before Jesus, breaking it. If if you have any political loyalty, or we should say in these days of fragmented identity and identity politics, if you have any modifier, anything you put before the word Christian, English, British, conservative, Labour, gay, straight, any other identity, black, white, rich, poor, anything, any other identity before Jesus, you strike it from the record. You say, no, I'm a Christian. That's who I am. To repent is to come back to him as the king and to renounce every other claim that every other kingdom has in our lives. To turn away so that we might turn towards. The biblical word for that is repentance. It's something, if you're like me, if you're as sinful as me, you have to do every day. It is a state of heart and mind that keeps us close we keep returning, keep returning. As we turn, we find, as Amy's talked to us recently about, we find those mercies which you knew every morning. But we don't find them if we don't turn. And secondly, we believe. This word belief, we think as, as modern Westerners, we often think about the stuff we fit in our heads. It's not about that. Belief is connected to stuff maybe we think, but it's primarily about our way of life. It's about trust. It's much more to do with the heart. It's about confidence, about trust. Rowan Williams says that we might translate that simple verse. Change your minds. Trust this proclamation. Trust. Trust the proclamation that that was and is what God was doing with Jesus. Trust. Stop trusting the proclamation that if you try a little bit harder... Life will work out like you've always wanted it to. That's the American and the Western dream. Trust instead that King Jesus has done everything needed for you. Stop trusting the proclamation that if you amass enough achievement, you'll eventually reach a place of satisfaction. Trust instead that he is your achievement. He is your satisfaction. Stop trusting the proclamation that if you're acceptable to other people, your friends, your colleagues, your parents, dare I say even your children, you'll become acceptable to God. Trust instead that He has accepted you on the basis of Christ's work on your behalf. Stop trusting the proclamation that you could gather enough worldly material, enough entertainment, enough uh, experiences travelling the world, enough, enough anything, enough power... To live a fulfilled life, trust instead that he is enough and that he will and has empowered you to live life with him. Stop trusting the proclamation that the value of your life can be measured by your bank account, by your looks, by your weight, by your uh, intellectual achievements, your relationship status, by anything else other than God's love shown to you in Jesus Christ. Trust that he will provide instead all that you need. Trust the gospel truth that God has come close in Jesus. That he has begun a new world order. And that he won't stop until he has declared over every part of creation, mine. Because hope comes from trust. A revival of hope, which is what we need. In these days more than any other, a revival of hope comes from a revival of of trust Lent is our opportunity to face into the reality of our need not to face away to face into it to face into the reality of our broken sinful nature our mortality the truth that each of us will die our spiritual bankruptcy our addiction to strategies to managing all of that and trying to earn our favour with God And as we look into it, to meet God, staring right back at us, saying, The time has come. The kingdom of heaven is close. Turn to me. Trust me.